to Life Talks with Stephen and Pat. Welcome back, and here we go again, getting into Proverbs 16. It's so good to have you with us, and me and Pam are going to be your trusty guides <laughs> as we travel through the wisdom, the swirly, twirly wisdom drops of God Almighty. Yes, amen. And as we enjoy His uncompromising, power-filled Word that yes. never returns empty, never returns void, and is able to heal us, restore us, strengthen us, deliver us, man. God's Word, so good, right? Amen. Proverbs 16. So, Pam, would you lead us in prayer and let's indulge. Father, I thank you that right now we submit our mind, will, and emotions and our bodies to you. I thank you, Lord, that according to the Word, we have the mind of Christ and we are led by you, Holy Spirit. So we give you permission to declare, disclose, and transmit the will of the Father to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Proverbs 16, starting at verse 1. Here we go. The plans of the mind and orderly thinking belong to man. But from the Lord comes the wise answer of the tongue. You know, Pam, talking about plans, and I got a feeling that's going to be a little bit of a theme, Mm -hmm. talking about our planning and our thinking. Did you know that most people, most families put more planning into their vacation than they do into their actual life, their home, their future? That's true. They put way more passionate planning into a vacation. I know. For a week than the other 51 Mm -hmm. weeks of their life. that's true. If that's you, again, don't let condemnation come up in your heart. We all have to be taught how to do the right thing, and that's what God's Word is doing right here. But it says, the plans of the mind and orderly thinking, it belongs to us. It belongs to the species of man, planning and orderly thinking. And there's so much beauty to be had in a good plan. God's a planner. You know, you and I, we're made in the image of Almighty God. God made us in His image, and God is a God who makes plans. That's His way of doing things. God articulates things. He devises things. He has blueprints for our design. God is a planner. And you know, there's a saying that says that no plan is a plan for failure. Right. And I've proven that to be true in my life. I've got a good friend. He's responsible for bringing big industry, keeping it in Michigan. He's been responsible for keeping certain car companies in certain cities. I'm talking like multi-billion dollar productivity. And he consults on large company business and even help small companies, small mom and pop type businesses get successful. And he told me, he said, Stephen, statistically, it's true that most businesses that fail have no business plan. That's the one thing they all have in common, a failed business. All these failures have this in common. They have no business plan. Well, you know, even in this first verse here, you got to even have a business plan on how you're going to answer. Jesus was very strategic. He didn't let people push him. People were yelling at him questions and in front of people in all sorts of circumstances. And he did not speak unless he was speaking what Father God was saying. And that was his plan of action all along. Sometimes he wouldn't even answer their question. He would turn it around and ask them a question. And that was the wisdom plan. Sometimes I think there's an orderly plan, a business plan on us going forward. You know, when the Lord gives you a prophetic word and unction inside your heart of things to come, because that's what he does, you still got to have a plan on how to walk it out. You can't just, okay, well, I'm out the door and I'm just going to do it my way now. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't abandon you after he gives us a plan, a word, a vision of things to come. He says, now, wait a second, I want to give you step by step how to 
walk this out. And sometimes it is step by step, but even in our mouth and the things we answer, the things we say, we should be motivated by the Holy Spirit and not driven by a circumstance and almost have a plan, a business plan on how we're going to answer as well. That's good. That's really good. That's why, you know, you and I in the mornings, we have certain scriptures that we confess together. We speak out because it's part of the plan for our future, for the direction of our life, because we have a leading. God's given us a plan and we articulate it by speaking his word over our life. That's part of the plan. Pam, when I've had the privilege of doing a lot of premarital counseling, and one of the parts of that counseling is to force them in an encouraging way to come up with a budget for their future. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it's set in stone. I mean, it can be a good plan, even a good business plan. They say should be a living document. In other words, it adapts to the challenges. It adapts to the threats that are possible. The unforeseen risks, or for that matter, opportunities that should adapt to what's coming up. And so a good plan should talk for you. A good plan should serve you. It should work for you. A good budget is a plan for your future, Mm -hmm. and it should work for your future. And it can be adjusted. You're the Lord of that plan, but it should be working for you. And it says here, the plans of the mind in orderly thinking belong to mankind. Young couple getting married, they should have some plans in place, even financial plans. And then it goes on, but from the Lord comes the wise answer of the tongue. There's many questions that need to be answered when you articulate a plan. The what, the where, the how, all these things are part of the strategy. Every question mark we get, we go to God and we say, Father, what's the wise plan? What's Mm -hmm. the strategy? What's even the answer to the how? How are we going to do this? God, how am I going to pay my student loan off? So you go to God, I want a plan, and you begin putting down the variables. And you ask God, how do we accomplish this? What's the time? What's my goal? Should I be aiming to have this done in five years? Should I be aiming to have it done in seven? The wise answer, as you were putting plans together, comes from the Lord. That's so good. That's true. We look to Him for everything. Number two, all the ways of man are pure in His own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits, the thoughts, and intents of the heart. It's easy to think that you're right we tend to kind of view things in favor of ourselves, Right. But, you know, that's not always true because I know times in my life when I've been so down on myself, I talked about struggling with self-loathing. You can be really hard on yourself too, but all the ways of mankind are pure in his own eyes. There is a time when we tend to kind of gloss over our motives. And yeah. this is what I talked about earlier. When you and I first got married, you and I would have what I call a discussion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would walk away feeling like I had won the discussion and have the Holy Spirit totally catch me in my wrong motives, which I'm so thankful for, correct me halfway down the hall and say, you need to repent. You need to go back to that girl and ask for forgiveness and make things right. Remember, you don't want your prayer life hindered. And remember, you want to be always honorable toward her because she's God's daughter. And I was like, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. And so then the best time to make something right is now. Tomorrow it gets just a little bit harder, right? That's right. Verse 3. Roll your works upon the Lord, which means to commit and trust them wholly to Him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. And Pam, I kind of like to pull a little thing that you like to do here, and I like to analyze this from the potential outcome in reverse. 
and ask myself, do I want my plans to be established and succeed? I think all of us, everybody in the room here, we can all go, that's me. I I want my plans to be established (laughs) and to be successful. You know, if you know every time you make a plan, it's established and it's successful, you will become a planning freak. That's right. You'll just be planning all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, how do we get that? It starts off, here's the steps to doing it. Roll all of your works upon the Lord. Yeah. Commit and trust all of these works wholly to God. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will. As we even go through Proverbs 16 and indulge in this chapter, as we're doing this, we're indulging in God's thoughts. By indulging in His Word, we're indulging in His thoughts. That's right. And as we indulge in God Almighty's thoughts, something happens to our thinking. Romans 12, 2 says this, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And then this is what happens. It will be proof of what is acceptable and perfect. God's will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, proving what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Mm -hmm. So roll your works upon God. Trust, doesn't matter what you're doing, put all of your works over in Him. Roll it all over Him, the care of it, the concern of it. Commit it and trust it totally to Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And then guess what happens? Your thoughts come into alignment. They become synchronized with the, yes, Pam, you got it. Our thoughts are synchronized with His will. Can you imagine that? Every day we get to live with our thoughts synchronized to the will of God. But we have to go through this exercise of getting into his word and meditating on it as part of the plan. And there's a different angle that I've thought about. Roll your works on the Lord and trust in God and thoughts will be established. I think even like your emotions, there's sometimes that you don't feel like smiling. You say, well, I've just always been shy. I'm an introvert and uh, champion the introvert. You know, don't make us be anything we're at. Well, no one's making you be anything you're not. I can be kind of shy myself sometimes, but if someone's walking in the hall, I don't care who I claim to be, an introvert, an extrovert, whatever. I should smile. I should be kind. Even the medical studies show that it affects you actually become happy. Your body follows suit. I told a girl that was in youth group and she was really discouraged and she was feeling so insecure and and some things happened and she was having to go back to youth group and she was just so scared. Everyone was going to ask questions and different things. And I said, okay, I want you to put your shoulders back, put a nice smile on your face, your head up. And even when people ask you questions, you just, oh, I'm doing great. You know, God's good. And she said, are you serious? I said, yeah, do it. She said it was so easy because see, her mind, will, and emotions followed suit with what she chose by faith in God to be. That's good. Let me say this another way, like a a Stephen summary here. You will be successful if you submit all your actions to Mm, God. That's good. Yeah. Good way to say it. You will be successful if you submit all your actions to God. So roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust them wholly to God, and he will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to his thoughts, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. Verse 4. The Lord has made everything to accommodate itself and contribute to its own end and his own purpose. Even the wicked are fitted for their role for the day of calamity and evil. It really is amazing if you're watching those nature shows, you know, just all the flowers, the the yeah. seeds, you mm-hmm. know, how the, the seeds come out of the tree. The pine comb comes out of the tree and a bird comes along and it's food. 
Yeah. Then yeah. he puts the food in the ground, and then along come bears, and they steal yeah, some of right. his food, and then they <laughs> eat it, and then they end up replanting it in different areas. Right. And you just see the intricacy as science explores God's creation. And the more you see it, you realize it's really true. God has made everything to accommodate itself and contribute to its own end and its own purpose. And God's got a purpose for you, my friend. Yes. He's got an amazing, phenomenal plan for your life. And this should just light you up and get you excited to pursue, to indulge in God's plan and God's word for your life, because it's so good. In this verse, it says, even people who are wicked and evil, we know this, we've heard the scripture many times, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. So my friend, you are just in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's right. And even the wealth of the wicked, the works and the efforts and all the labor of the wicked trying to stockpile their nuts, so to speak, their uh, pine nuts, so Mm -hmm. to speak, Yeah, they stockpile it just like those birds do. For you, yeah. when you think about it, because <laughs> you're true. just in Christ Jesus, you are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So indulging God's word and in his plans for your life. Like I said, God's a planner. He's got a plan for your life. Yay, he sure does. Verse five, everyone proud and arrogant in heart is disgusting, hateful, <sighs> and exceedingly offensive to the Lord. Be assured, I pledge it, they will not go unpunished. Pam, you know what this makes me think of? When I was a boy, my aunt and uncle had the cutest little poodle. You know, this toy poodle. That's what it was. So little. (laughs) And she was the cutest little puppy. Oh, man, adorable. And all us kids loved this little dog. Well, I remember one time we went on a trip with my aunt and uncle and their little poodle. And so we stopped at this park and got out. And they loved this poodle. They treated this poodle like it was a kid of theirs or something. The poodle got out. We're all having a little picnic and then we go to get back in the car and there is this horrific just nauseating stink this little poodle had gone out and rolled in some other dog stuff. Oh, no. And you, and you know poodles, they have short little curly hair. Yeah. They... This little toy poodle had rolled in enough oh, stuff that no. it was covered oh, no. from head to toe, from oh, head to tail, no. right? It was yeah. disgusting. I was on the verge of just heaving. It yeah. was just, oh, so gross. Well, my aunt and uncle, their complete affection for this little puppy that they treated like their own kid right. went from adoring, petting... <laughs> <laughs> loving, snuggling, you know, even like, oh, little baby, you know, like that right, kind of thing. Right. It went from that to my uncle was red-faced. He was angry. He was stewing. My aunt was huffing and puffing and, oh, I can't, oh, my, this is awful. You and look, it. she's got it tracked into the car. And it just suddenly, they <laughs> went from loving, cuddling, snuggling to truly, Being they were disgusted. disgusted. Yeah. They hated the stink. Yeah. You know what I mean? They yeah. hated the stink. It was exceedingly oh, offensive. And you know, when I read that, that's what this makes me think of. Everyone proud and arrogant at heart, it's like they roll in the stuff. Yeah, that's true. And you know, and I know this with all my heart from God's word in the whole context of Genesis to Revelation. God is not willing that any should perish. Yeah. God loves the unlovable. God loves the prodigal son, the prodigal daughter. God loves those that are rolling in it, so to speak. Pride, arrogance, it's disgusting. It's hateful. It stinks. It's exceedingly offensive to the Lord. If you refuse God's cleansing power through his son, Jesus, Pam, there's nobody going to be in hell because of sin. 
they're going to be in hell because they refuse God's that's greatest gift, yep, Jesus, mm-hmm. the one that can redeem us from all of our sins and iniquity. The word makes it clear all of us have rolled in it. All yeah, of us have true. sinned and come mm-hmm. short of the glory mm-hmm. of God. So nobody goes to hell because we've sinned. We go because we refuse God's saving power, right. his saving grace, his only begotten son, Jesus. I just felt like that was a good little story that's to kind of give us a grounding of what that looks like. Sometimes people can read that religiously and go, oh, see, there is people that God just hates and he just loathes people and he thinks proud people are just disgusting and he wants to backhand them. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to bring a little understanding to that. That was a good story, honey. And now I think we all know what pride smells like. (laughs) Okay, verse six, by mercy and love, truth and fidelity to God and man, not by sacrificial offerings. Iniquity is purged out of the heart, and by the reverential, worshipful fear and awe of the Lord, men depart from and avoid evil. I like to say it like this. We will depart from and avoid evil when we have a reverential awe and worship of the Lord. Iniquity is going to be purged out of our heart by mercy, love, truth, and fidelity to God and man, but not by sacrificial offerings. That's not what's going to purge us from iniquity. See, this is what Jesus said to the religious leaders of the day. He said, you guys practice all these sacrificial offerings on this side, but he says, you neglect the greatest part of the law. Jesus made it clear when he was asked, what's the greatest law? He said, to love your Lord God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and body. But then he says, the second is, like the first, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love one another, right? Right Right here, Jesus censures the Pharisees when he says, you've neglected the greatest, weightiest part of the law, which is mercy. Yes. Kindness. Forgiveness. And here we see by mercy, love, and truth, fidelity and to God, loyalty, loyalty to God, to God man. and man. Yeah. You know, I find it very interesting. And please know that I'm not harping on this, but I guess it's just because I'm a singer, I'm a worship leader, I'm a songwriter, and I love writing songs. We both do about the love of the Lord towards us. And then we sing, I love you, Lord, see his face and, you know, love on him. That's wonderful if I sing about it. But am I walking in it? There's all sorts of ways in which we show our love for the Lord, but it still all comes under the umbrella of obedience. And loving the Lord is operating in His mercy, His truth. So what you're basi- being loyal to people and God. What you're basically saying is that your Sunday morning song does not in any way take the place of your Thursday morning mercy exactly. and kindness toward your little rebellious boy at the table or your your attitude toward your spouse, your patience, and mercy behind the scenes. Yeah, your, your exactly. secret loyalty, your secret. You work with. Yeah. Yeah. Verse 7. When a man's ways or a woman's ways please the Lord, God makes even that person's enemies to be at peace with oh, him. Oh, I've claimed the scripture so many times. Woo, that's strong. It is. Well, God, let our ways please you. We want our ways to please you, Father. Yes. So even our enemies will be at peace with us. Eight. Better is a little with righteousness, uprightness in every area and relationship and right standing with God than great revenues with injustice. Well, because what's the point in having a million dollars if there's this vicious curse attached to it Yeah, that's going to make your organs shut down and make your (laughs) friends all alienated and you're surrounded by enemies and Mm -hmm. wolves? Mm -hmm. And what would be the point? I would rather have a little 
with righteousness. And it says better is a little with righteousness. I believe this, when you have a little, let's say you only have five, well, let's say you only have five loaves and two fish, but you've got righteousness with you. You're going to be able to feed 20,000 people, 5,000 men beside women and children, right? That's true. So better is a little with Mm -hmm. righteousness. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Verse nine, a man's mind plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps and makes them sure. So here we go again, back to planning. You may be a woman launching a business for a restaurant, and I think that's awesome. We need more godly restaurant owners. Yes, we sure do. So let's say you're a woman launching a plan for a bakery or a restaurant. It's your responsibility to come up with the plan. You plan your way. But the Lord will direct your steps, sister. The Lord will make your steps sure. So you always take that plan and you lay it out before God. You take your budget and you lay it out before God, knowing that you've got a responsibility to articulate the future with God's help. But it says here that God will direct your steps and he will make them sure. Isn't that awesome? Listen, isn't that what we want? We don't want to be stumbling all the time. We don't want to be getting in the potholes or off thrown in the poison ivy and stuff like that. Yeah, so let me just encourage you. If you've got a business or you're starting a business, start with a business plan. If you've got a business going already and you don't have a business plan, get one, ASAP. And if you don't know how to do it, get counsel, get instruction. Like I said, no plan is a plan for failure. And then you can't turn around and blame that on God because things are failing. God blesses a plan and he directs you by using a plan and he will direct your steps as you articulate your plan. So even with a church, my friend, pastor, you may have a church. Where is the plan? You got to have a business plan, so to speak, for your church. You need to have that. Something that as you get together with your board, you guys can all come into agreement on the plan. Mm -hmm. And the plan is this living document that is constantly being submitted to the Holy Spirit's direction. Every family needs to have a family plan. That's good. You know? It's good. Takes time, but it's so worth it. 10. Divinely directed decisions are on the lips of the king. His mouth should not transgress in judgment. You know, for me, I love that. Divinely directed decisions are on the mouth of the king. I think all of us want to have divinely directed decisions, but how do we do it? And I really love the course that you're doing because it really unfolds how can we have divinely directed decisions. When we started becoming friends, and I got to the point where I was just so indecisive on everything. I felt like, okay, everybody just make the decision for me, but my indecision was making decisions. Well, fear makes you indecisive. Right. And it did. You kind of helped me, you know, even when we'd go to a restaurant and I'd order something and I'd think, oh, I don't know what to, should I have mayonnaise on my sandwich? Should I have a hamburger? Should I have this? And, And then afterwards I'd think, oh, I made the wrong decision. And you would say, no, Stay with your decision, learn from it. Just don't look back and go to the next one now. You need to learn it's something to make you have decisions. to practice. Yeah, no, it was I've a got, process. I've got good friends who are business leaders and pastors who are, to me, brilliant, brilliant men and women, people that I look up to and admire. They're brilliant. But there's areas in their life where I see and I notice that they struggle terribly because they're unwilling to make a decision. Yeah. You know, the moment you make a divine decree with your mouth, you make a cut. But you eliminate something and you add something when you make a cut. Like if you have a, a length of two by four, eight feet long, the moment you make a cut, you end up going from one piece to two pieces 
it goes toward the plan. Mm-hmm. But you can't be fearful of making the cut. Otherwise, you never get anywhere. You always have the whole piece, but you never get into multiplication. You never get into construction unless you're willing to make a cut. Some of these guys and girls, it's because of a fear of losing an option. And you have to have a faith-filled heart to make a divinely direct decision. And that's what a king does. Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, I'm not a king. I'm not royalty. Well, oh, come on. Romans 5, 17. Right. Through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we, we reign, reign as kings, kings in, in life, life by Christ. Jesus Christ. So get this in your heart and mind. It is your responsibility to have divinely directed decisions coming on your lips at all times. That's what God's assigned you to here on this earth, to be a a divinely directed decision maker in Mm -hmm. Jesus' name. Verse 11, a just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are His work established on His eternal principles. I love that. Eternal principles. God's principles are eternal. They're everlasting. And God is all about a just balance and scales. God's about justice. We live in a world that's all about fairness. Fortunately for us, God is more about justice being done than fairness being achieved. Fairness focuses on everything being equal, which sounds nice, but justice, God's justice focuses on rightness. Parents understand this in the most practical sense, and that's why they don't give their 10-year-old the keys of the car after the 18-year-old borrowed it for an hour. Justice does what's right. The pursuit of fairness often endangers lives and destinies. Fairness won't take you into the next million years. Justice will. And that's what turns our heart to Jesus. I like the song, Let Justice Roll Like a River. Verse 12, It is an abomination to God and men for kings to commit wickedness. For a throne is established and made secure by righteousness, moral and spiritual rectitude in every area and relationship. So that kind of builds on verse 11 because we know that a just balance and scales are the Lord. So that's why in verse 12, it's an abomination for God and men for kings to commit wickedness. It's completely back into the poodle rolling in the junk in the park. Right, right. It's an abomination. Verse 13, right and just lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. You know, this is the thing that I've learned. The more I learn to speak God's righteousness, what comes out of God's word, the principles, those eternal principles that we just read about in verse 12, the more I learn to train, you have to train your lips. You have to train your mouth. You really do. You have to educate your heart and mind in God's principles. And then you learn to speak in every situation, not from what you feel or what seems right, but what you know, according to God's word, Mm -hmm. is right. And when you do that, Pam, verse 13 says, you end up promoting yourself into the presence of kings. Because good kings, they delight in right and just lips. So how do you get in the presence of a king? Somebody with great authority and influence, learn to train your lips to speak what is right. You know, I really like that 14 goes along with it. The wrath of the king is as messengers of death, but a wise man will pacify it. Sometimes we don't take enough time to learn protocol. I'm not saying learn how to flatter, learn how to play this bad kind of game that you manipulate with your words to get what you want. Jesus always did this when he was talking to people. If it was a, you know, a farmer, he would speak to their experience of understanding. He would speak agricultural. He would speak their language. He would talk like a farmer. 
farmer in their terms to help him understand it. If he was talking to somebody that had been a big political figure, he would talk kind of in ways so that in their terms, so it'd help him understand truth and unfold But he never engaged in verbal bribery. Never, never. And so that's not what it's saying about coming before a king. It's an abomination to engage in verbal bribery. And I see it in the world around us all the time in politics. I see it even in ministry where people engage in verbal bribery. And that is using your words to try to control somebody, to try to manipulate them and to play on their weaknesses and their insecurities. It's completely wrong and it's an abomination to God. It's definitely not the just scales that we were just reading about. But to speak words that are right, like Joseph, even coming out of the prison, he spoke right answers. He spoke right things to Potiphar and also to Pharaoh. In fact, the word says that he prepared himself for coming into Pharaoh's presence. As a Hebrew, they weren't into shaving their face. They were supposed to have a beard. It was a shame for them to shave their head. But we know that Joseph shaved before going into Pharaoh's presence. He prepared himself even visually to not be offensive to him. Didn't change his heart. Didn't say things that were true. Stayed true to his God. You know, I think sometimes even like different situations lend itself to different attire. You don't have to be something you're not. But if you're going into a job or you're going to a very prestigious award ceremony or you're going to this position, try to be wise. Now, how should I dress? Don't go in there with sweatpants and a great big baggy shirt if that's not the protocol for where it is. Now, you don't have to wear something that somebody else wouldn't wear. You could still be yourself, but put a nice shirt on nice pants on, still be yourself, but walk in there with a sense of protocol, which communicates your respect and discernment for the opportunity at hand. As opposed to an arrogant heart that just says, well, this is just me. This is who I am. You just take me just the way I am. Reading this again in the light of that story about Joseph, the wrath of a king is as a messenger of death, but a wise man will pacify it. You know, Pharaoh was stressed out, probably upset and really struggling because none of his Uh counselors or leaders or his scientists were able to give him the answer that he so desperately needed. So it says a wise man will pacify that wrath, that upset heart. Well, Joseph, I think directed by God, shaves himself of all of his hair because think about it, Hair on men was offensive to the aristocracy and Egyptian culture at that historic time, partly for hygienic reasons and partly because it was vanity to be clean-shaven, especially for the wealthy elites. Even the beards and the long hair that you see chiseled on their ancient statues of gods and favorite kings was really inspired from their wealthy elite wearing wigs of animal hair for worship or, you know, their Grammy parties or even being buried in. So Joseph shaves himself of that. It was a display of humility and submission but at the same time, it was a display of a very wise man because Pharaoh's being told a Hebrew's coming before him. And so he knows the way Hebrews, they would have a beard, they would have probably longer hair. And he's expecting this Hebrew to come in. And all of a sudden, this guy comes in looking Egyptian, right? Yeah, that's that's so good. I, Verse 15. Before you read that, I just really want to... Inter- oh, no. Hey, listen, we're not going back. <laughs> we're done. We have to go on. The ship has sailed. <laughs> the same way, you know, even in the tone of your words and your demeanor and how you approach people, so many times... I've learned, you know, we throw out such important things in the wrong context. Yeah. And then we just get mad when people don't receive it. Well, I had a word from the Lord. Right. You know, you didn't consider where they just were, what was going on in their life at that moment. And you didn't even bother shaving your head. Yeah. Didn't even shave your head. (laughs) 
Okay. Verse 15. In the light of the king's countenance is life, and his favor is as a cloud bringing the spring rain. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you get into the light of the king's countenance? Well, we just heard. Wisdom. Being a wise person, being a wise woman. 16. How much better is it to get skillful and godly wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. God puts a measurable value on wisdom and understanding. And he measures it way over and above the most precious elements we have to mankind here on earth. Gold, silver. We even read that it's even far more valuable than rubies, the most rare, precious stones. God says the getting of gold here, skillful and godly wisdom, is so much. There's an exclamation there, Pam. God's like, it's so much better than gold. Yeah, you know, yeah. gold can't heal your body. No. But wisdom can actually work right at your bone level and make you strong and healthy. That's Isn't that awesome? That's beautiful. Woo! Yay. 17. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. He who guards his way preserves his life. So, you know, we read in Proverbs 4 that above all things, we're to guard our heart. And now he's talking about when you guard your way, you preserve your life. Well, the wow. my way is really my choice of the way I'm going to live. My way I choose is the way of the Lord. Right. The way of the Lord I call my way. I've taken the highway of my God, and I've said, that's the highway that I'm going to stick on. That's the road I'm going to travel. And that means I need to be constantly looking at this road map and staying on the path of my God. How can I go my Father's way unless I know my Father's thoughts? I think it's Psalm 103, verse 7. It says that the children of Israel knew the acts of God. They knew the, the outcome of what God could do. But Moses, yeah. Moses knew the ways of God, and that's why he could walk the way of God. That's why he could lead others in the way of God. Now, the grumblers and the complainers, they ended up falling off the way of God. But those that adhered to his leadership and submitted, they ended up making it to the promised land. That's really good. So the highway of the upright turns aside from evil, and he who guards his way preserves his life. You know, what road are you on? Maybe your parents have been on that road. Maybe your relatives have been on that road. Maybe some friends have been on that highway. But if that highway you're on keeps going constantly into destruction... You might want to get on another highway. Maybe Absolutely. you're really not on the way of the Lord. Just consider it. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, am I really going down the road you want me to? You know, there's many times that, practically speaking, where I've heard so many stories, and one time it happened to my mom, where, drive this way home. Yeah. And then she got home only to hear that about the same time she would have gone on that other road, there was an accident. God wants to direct us. What way, what highway are we on? And maybe, perhaps, we need to get on another highway. 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. That just makes me put my guard up even that much more against my heart tolerating pride. Whenever I see pride in my life, I want to be quick to repent. God, forgive me. Forgive me of that pride. Forgive me of any arrogance. Forgive me for exalting my way, my thoughts, and not submitting to your ways and your thoughts. And I think it's just important to allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart in all circumstances. Like I said, there's been times, as much as I love you, there's been times when I felt like pride would creep in and even how I was toward you. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. They would say, Stephen, come on, snap out of it. Don't be like that toward your wife. That's pride. Well, I needed God to identify that. Yeah, because sometimes we struggle with misconceptions of what pride really is and what it isn't. 
sometimes we act super, super humble, and actually that can be pride. Right. So we really have to be constantly align our way of thinking with God's way of thinking, what real pride is. Because sometimes, you know, what we grew up to think pride is, a lot of times we think humility, oh, woe is me. And you're thinking, yeah, that's actually pride. Well, there's some people I know that I've actually heard them say, so-and-so wanted to help us. They wanted to give us a clothes dryer. We don't have anything to dry our clothes right now. Ours gave out. So-and-so from the church said that they had an extra dryer in their garage and they were going to give it to us. Hey, we don't take charity. You know, we don't take charity. We're poor, but we're proud. Yeah, And it's like, what in the world? Yeah, where that statement ever came from is kind of funny. Well, if you're poor, God can set you free from that and he can make you whole and bless you. Jesus became poor that we might be rich, the word says. He can also deliver you of the pride and of the poverty. Right. And, (laughs) and, you know, give you more wisdom on how to walk a different highway and it will preserve and enrich your life. Let me read that again, what you just read. Pride goes before destruction. I don't want destruction in my life. I don't, I don't want a fall in my life. Yeah. So therefore, I really want to do like my Heavenly Father, and I want to hate pride and arrogance, even if it's in my life. You know, sometimes it's so much easier to look at other people and say, well, I think that's pride in Jim's life over there. Forget about Jim. Forget about Jim. What did Jesus say? Quit trying to pick the speck out of your brother's eye and look at the big old log you got in your eye. When you can identify things in other people's lives really quickly, it's usually because you're hypersensitive because you got a big old telephone pole in your eye of that very same thing. So when you're like, you know, she's so mean and this and this, well, maybe you're struggling with some meanness. Right. You seem to be really hypersensitive at picking it out. Anytime I find myself, hey, is Jim being arrogant? Then I'm like, well, what about me? You know, Holy right. Spirit, help me. I don't want Jim to get in a destructive lifestyle, but I don't want myself yeah. going off the rails here and bringing destruction on me. I was talking to this young person not long ago. There was a situation when somebody in authority had been really quite, really quite hard in their tone and their words and putting them down. And it was really devastating to this person. I said, well, you know what? Doesn't matter what they do. You choose to do what's right. Put your head up, a smile on your face. You continue to be kind and respectful and file this away in a memory bank in your mind. Someday when you're in leadership, Someday when you're talking to people, a teenager, how are you going to talk differently? Use this as a learning tool, like, nope, I'm not going to talk like this. I'm going to talk like this. And you know, in 17, if we could say it also different, humility goes before success. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. And a tender, kind spirit goes before victory. Well, that's true, Pam. We're going to actually read coming up in Proverbs 18 that humility comes before honor. So it's true. Before promotion, there's humility. And we've talked about 1 Peter 5. says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you or he may promote you. So just like you said, there is always the reciprocating side, the other side of the coin. And in this case, it's true. Pride does go before destruction, but we're going to read in Proverbs 18 that before promotion or before honor is humility. Verse 19, better it is to be of a humble spirit with the meek and poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Well, no wonder you don't want to divide the spoil with the proud because we just read what's going to happen to them. Great destruction's coming on them, right? So it's like, who cares that you're sitting there dividing the gold with the proud in their big gold chest and then all of a sudden the meteor's coming from outer space and about to land on them. It's like, get out of there. Leave. 20. He who deals wisely and heeds God's word and counsel shall find good. And whoever leans on, trusts in, and is confident in the Lord is happy, 
blessed and fortunate. Oh, yeah. Wow. Who wants to be happy? I Who do. wants to be blessed? I do. Who wants to be fortunate? I do. Trust in the Lord. Lean on, trust in, and be confident in Him. Wow. That's, that's what so we good. read in Proverbs 3, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So good. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge Him. And guess what? He will direct your paths. And if you've got God, the maker of heaven and earth, directing your paths, get ready for something good. Get ready for something good. Verse 21, the wise in heart are called prudent. So it's like saying the wise in heart are called people who have foresight for the future. The wise in heart are called prudent, understanding, and knowing. And winsome speech, there's a cute little term, winsome speech increases learning in both speaker and listener. God, I sure hope that with your help, Pam and I are exercising some winsome speech as we go through these beautiful yes, proverbs with yes, our friends. Yes. In Jesus' be. name. 22. Understanding is a wellspring of life to those who have it, but to give instruction to fools is folly. Pam, to me, that's like saying understanding is like owning the golden goose. Right, you're gonna yeah, always have these little true. golden eggs plopping out behind you. Right. If you own the golden goose, understanding is a wellspring of life to those who have it. That's good. Imagine you own the wellspring. You got these deep, cool waters, refreshing waters, life-giving waters, constantly coming up on the inside of you. Jesus said this, and John, he said, "If any man's thirsty, let him come unto me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers, rivers. of living water." Life. I'm always persuaded by those words from Jesus that life. Life comes from the inside of us out, and often people in the world are looking for life to come from the outside in, but God has designed us to be wells of life, wells of living water. And understanding, it says, is a wellspring of life to those that have it. You and I, we can be conduits. We can be rivers of our Father's life flowing up out of us into this world. Isn't that encouraging? It's so encouraging. Right? That's why we said our confession from Proverbs 10 is, my mouth is a well of life, my tongue is as choice silver, and my mm-hmm. lips feed many. That's the word of God. We can say that. That's God's will for your life. Verse 23, the mind of the wise instructs his mouth. We were just talking about that, right? And adds learning and persuasiveness to his lips. I often ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, when I'm presenting the gospel, when I'm talking to friends and family about the word and the principles of God, God, I'm just asking you to give me an anointing for persuasiveness. The, The word says in the book of Acts, when Stephen spoke, there was an irresistible quality to his words and even his countenance so that even his enemies, it said, could not resist him. They had to hear every word that he said. Now, of course, they stoned him in the end, but there was an irresistible quality to his nature, to his words, to his speaking. 24. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the mind and healing to the body. You know, I think of even... When we submit ourselves to looking at and listening to a good program, a good video, a good audio, good teaching, even there's good TV and there's bad TV, you know, there's things that are pleasant. 
what we put in our heart, you know, comes out in our words, whatever in our heart. And I just think of pleasant words. Sometimes we don't think before we talk. And, you know, it doesn't come out as pleasant and it's not a honeycomb. I've heard of a situation recently where a friend of mine was saying that her husband feels very, there's some people in his life that speak very cruelly to them because they seem to be defensive about everything and their words are not pleasant. He has to throw it off because it's quite painful to his mind and body. We as believers don't want to be a conduit of speaking words. Now, we have to say things strong sometimes. We have to say them firm sometimes. When Peter was saying, you're not going to go to the cross, you know, Jesus said, oh, no, 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 I'm not even going to look at you right now because you're speaking anti-God way of thinking right now. So I'm not even going to look at you until you repent. I'm not saying we don't deal with situations, but every day, you know, let's take a deep breath and someone says something to us, we have to deal with the situation. Let's not be defensive. Let's be stronger than that. Come on. And let's choose to take a deep breath, either speak or respond with pleasant words. So it's sweet to the mind and healing to the body. Pam, I think there's a epidemic in the world right now of people that are struggling with dementia or Alzheimer's or some other problem with the mind and with the thinking. I think it's because there's been such a, yes, what you said, night. such an avalanche of, instead of pleasant words, ugly words mm, and death words right. and ugly thoughts. And there are people that have had so much negativity spewed out on this planet Earth that it's literally depriving the mind of power to work and depriving the body of healing. So you and I, we just talked about having that river of life that wellspring of life coming up on the inside of us. So what can we do? We can speak. My friends, you and I are armed with pleasant words that come from God Almighty. And I believe we can speak pleasant words. We can pray faith-filled prayers and they can be sweet to that person's mind, to that family's mind. And it can be healing to their body in the name of Jesus. Yes, Amen. Verse 25, there is a way that seems right to a man and appears straight before him, but at the end of it is the way of death. Well, wait a sec. We just read that in Proverbs 14, verse 12, the exact same verse. That's right. Proverbs 14, 12, we already hit this. And so it's like the Holy Spirit is putting this in the context of Proverbs 16 now, where it says, there's a way that seems right to a man and appears straight. And we've been talking a lot about plans, orderly thinking, that whole theme, which makes me think that as we read this, that until we really get with the Holy Spirit and get an orderly plan down on paper, we can have a way that seems right. Well, this seems like the right thing to do. But maybe it's not. We haven't articulated a godly plan, but there's a way that seems right to us. But at the end of it, it leads to death. The death of your business, maybe the death of your marriage, maybe the death of your career. Get a plan. Exactly. And submit it to God. That's why, according to verse 10, we need to always operate in divinely directed decisions. And those divinely directed decisions often end up being the fruit of and the outcome of a godly plan. That's right. 26. The appetite of the labor works for him for the need of his mouth urges him on. (laughs) So there's a little motivation for you. The appetite of the laborer works for him. The appetite of the laborer, it motivates him. It says it works for him for the need of his mouth urges him on. This is why in Old Testament welfare systems in the kingdom of Israel, God instructed them, you leave the corners of the field for the poor and the needy so that they can glean their grain from the corners of the field. Think about it. For the poor, their appetite even worked for them. It motivated them. There was joy gleaning those corners of the field 
because it's like, man, there's going to be bread in the house tonight. Right. They this harvest. is exciting. Uh-huh. Sometimes in political systems today, I think they think they're doing people a favor when they completely annihilate their appetite, but they don't realize for a lot of people in poverty, they take away even their very motivation to be constructive, to be ambitious. They take away the engagement power. And you know from personal experience how lack can motivate your insides to engagement. Verse 27, a worthless man devises and digs up mischief. And in his lips, there is as a scorching fire. So now we got a guy who's considered biblically a worthless man, and they devise and dig up mischief. So this guy, instead of having his appetite work for him, What's he doing? He's instead of out digging in the field, getting grain, he's out there basically devising and digging up mischief, possibly online figuring out how that he can hurt people, hurt people, Mm -hmm. steal things. And it says in his lips, in his words, there is a scorching fire. Fire really, you can purify, but fire in the wrong hands like this. It's destructive. It's destructive, yeah. 28, a perverse man sows strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Again, a perverse man or woman, when we sow strife, and a whisper, it separates close friends. You can almost tell something wrong is coming when somebody goes, ah, hey, Stephen, Pam, come here, I just... Something I want you guys to pray about, but you know, like uh, Mary over there, she's, you know, we, you can almost tell something's wrong when people are kind of, they get that whispering. Again, I want to differentiate between whispering and being discreet. Discretion is a good thing, and there's times when we need to be discreet and say something in confidence. I think sometimes people also in this, we can so strife by the tone of our voice. Yeah. The expression on our face, you know, that kind of look where our eyebrows go up, but we're not really saying anything. You think you're clear, but you know that you've gone into a situation where you didn't even need to be in. It's none of your business. You're not even having to deal with that situation. It's not even under your authority, but you feel the need to go in there and make one person not like another person and vice versa. And I think sometimes people play double, almost like a double agent. They'll go to one person. So dissension. Yeah, dissension to another when then they'll go to the other one say all this flattery stuff to sow dissension to them and i think that's perverse that really goes to another level well think about it when your whispering is carrying accusations and i think we've all experienced the the pain and the viciousness of when people in carrying what they consider factual evidence and truth they take something out of context and they go to somebody, maybe an authority or maybe one of your friends, and they bring really accusations. Instead of just coming directly to you with their concern and saying, hey, I heard this or I understood this or whatever, and just can we talk? Can we settle this? They go to somebody else and it's basically carrying and whispering accusations. I want to make a very, very strong statement. If in the body of Christ, if there's a chance somebody has hurt your feelings, somebody has done something that you feel is wrong. The word is very clear. You're supposed to first go to that person, not go to the person in authority over them. You're supposed to go to that person if it's a private matter between you guys and try to work it out. If not, then you're supposed to bring another friend with you that's very discreet and very calm. Only after that's rejected do you take it to authority. And I'm going to say this very strongly. If you do it any differently, you're walking in an antichrist kind of spirit. Jesus said that in describing Satan, he said he is the accuser of the brethren. So in my mind, I think this. You never want to align, even in the least, 
You never want your words to align with the accuser. I don't want to be in harmony with the devil. No. So when my words line up with accusations, I think to myself, I'm in harmony with the devil right now. Man, pull back the throttle on the accusation. Stop it. That's why I've said even in a marriage, you don't come home when your wife forgot to pick up the dry cleaning or something and say, you don't care about me. See, that's an accusation. You don't come home and go, you don't love me like you used to. You don't come home and say, you're inconsiderate. See, that's an accusation. Yeah. You come home and you may even be angry about it, but see, be angry and sin not. You come home and you say, honey, you do me good. This is what the word says about your wife or your husband. You do me good all my days. But I thought we had an understanding that you were going to pick up the dry cleaning. And you have to understand, I have a meeting tomorrow and I needed that shirt or that suit or whatever. And when you didn't pick that up, you know what it makes me feel? It makes me feel like you're saying you just don't love me like you used to or whatever it is you're feeling. But don't turn around and turn that feeling into a summary and say, you this. Right. That's an accusation. They breed the worst forms of contempt in the closest relationships. And this is why the enemy loves to sow discord among brethren. And he uses accusations. And I've seen it happen between pastor friends. I've seen it happen between business partners, between husband and wife, between mother and daughter, between father and son. Accusations breed the worst form of poisonous contempt, and they separate even family members. So beware of harmonizing with the devil. You don't want that. Verse 29. The exceedingly grasping, covetous, and violent man, he entices his neighbor, leading him in a way that is not good. Hey, hey, I got this business plan, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We're going to get rich and we're going to do this. And there's nothing wrong with a great, you know, obviously a great plan, a great idea. But when everything's motivated and built around being covetous and even violent, we're going to put these other businesses out of business and we're going to make that guy suffer. And those kind of motivations, that sounds very grasping, covetous, even violent. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. 30. He who shuts his eyes to devise perverse things and who compresses his lips as if in concealment brings evil to pass. Well, you can almost see that happening, right? The wheels turning, the imagination going off, and it's all about bringing evil to pass. 31. The hoary head, basically talking about the person with gray hair, the hoary head is a crown of beauty and glory if It is found in the way of righteousness, moral and spiritual rectitude in every area and relation. Pam, I have to say, I love godly old men. (laughs) Yeah. I love godly people that walk in God's way. Oh, my goodness. I love precious. And I have to say, I feel sad every time a godly man or a godly woman leaves this earth and goes to their reward and goes to be with Jesus. I'm happy for them, but sad for us because I love wise men and women who have so much experience in life. Right now, I'm just thinking of even a couple in our life and different couples, people that are older, have experience and who have held on to and nurtured God's wisdom and constantly fed on God's words. And it's grown up in their heart and they have a faith in God and they have a wise approach to life. I love wise people. And there's just something about that picture of an older gray-headed man or gray-headed woman who is just... And if you're filled it, with God's wisdom, the beauty of God's wisdom. Exactly. If you're one of those people, you are so precious and valuable. Continue. We need you to continue to walk in God's way of thinking and doing things and show forth the will of God because you're, you're lighting so a path. You're just so amazingly important. When we had interns and one girl that was very dear to us, uh, we did an internship about a year or so ago. And I would just 
please, I want you to think every Sunday morning during the week when you have opportunities to see godly grandma and grandpas, godly people that are walking in the way of the Lord, and you see them sitting, open the door for them, go up to them, touch their arm, look in their eye and say, you are so important. Thank you for living a life of faith for us. Do you know how important it is for us to see you do that? We love you. We appreciate you. We value you. This is part of the crisis that I find a lot of times even the North American churches in is because we've so segregated groups within the church. We've compartmentalized youth and we've compartmentalized young marriage and we've compartmentalized middle age and the elderly in our effort to strategically minister to these groups We've separated them. And here's the problem is, biblically, there's no foundation for that. And the moment you take away the father's father from the children, you remove what the Bible says is their crown of glory. First Samuel, I think it's chapter 2, when a curse comes on the priest Eli's house, when that curse comes upon him, it basically is that all the older generation will be cut off from your house, and therefore, your strength will be cut off. When you lose your elders from your the equation of your generation house, you lose the strength of your future, your life. And a lot of times people think it's almost reversed, that older people are weak. They don't realize, but that's where the strength is stored. Mm, that's so, so true. And Pam, we're going to be reading in Proverbs seventeen six that children's children are the crown of old men. So we realize that the glory of children is their fathers. The strength of children is their fathers. But the crown of old men, the older generation, is their children's children. There's a duality. It works both ways. You know, it hooks us up generationally, and it makes our future secure as we have the elders in the house and the youngest in the house all together. There's a time to have Thanksgiving dinner all together. That's right. Thanksgiving dinner isn't Thanksgiving dinner if it's compartmentalized and everybody kind of just goes and does their thing. It's when you got the baby at the table spitting his pablum out, but you also have (laughs) great-great-granddaddy sitting at the table praying the prayer that everybody's just been waiting to hear. I love that combination of the zeal of youth and the profound experience and wisdom of the senior years all coming together. That's the essence of beauty, I believe, here on this earth and family. We should celebrate that, not try to dismantle it and pull it apart. Well, then we're acting like the world. We don't want to be like the world. We want to unify, not divide. You know, I think of the scripture in Psalms, and it says, let one, I'm going to paraphrase it, but let one generation sing to another generation back and forth and let them sing back and forth to each other, not only singing, but talking about the goodness of God, singing about the goodness of God back and forth to each other, talking about the goodness of God, the answers of God, the wisdom of God. This is God's will. Yeah, that's really good. Verse 32. I love this. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his own spirit than he who takes a city. Pam, we've talked a lot about this, not foaming up and boiling over, right? And he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. He who rules his own spirit than he who takes a city. We've said this before. There's such a focus on trying to win the world and trying to change the world. God says, work at ruling your own spirit. When you do that, you're even better than the person who takes over a whole city. Rule your inner man. Rule your spirit. Verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is holy of the Lord. Even the events that seemed accidental are really ordered by God. 
So I feel like this folds back on verse 1, talking about the plans of the mind and orderly thinking belonging to man, but from the Lord comes the wise answer of the tongue. The whole lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is wholly of the Lord. So sometimes we get a whole matter, a situation, a crisis, an opportunity just plopped into our lap. It's like, here it is. It could be a crisis. It could be an opportunity. But it says here, the decision, right? We're backing up on verse 10. Divinely directed decision is wholly from the Lord. Even in that moment, God provides for us. Pam, let's pray Proverbs 16 now over ourselves and over our friends. Father, we just thank you in Jesus' name that the plans of the mind and orderly thinking belong to us. God, we get the privilege of being engaged and involved in coming up with the plans and downloading orderly thinking as we meditate on your word. But Father God, we are dependent upon you for the wise answer of the tongue. You give us divinely directed decisions to speak out as your kings under the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. Thank you that our mouths don't transgress against judgment, that we speak justice here on planet Earth. We speak the right things, things that are a delight. Lord, we thank you that you've given us highways of uprightness that turn aside from evil and that you've given us the privilege with the Holy Spirit's help of laying all of our pride and arrogance at the foot of the cross and that we get to walk in humility because we have the mind of Christ and we are submitted to you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for this, God. Thank you that we're not going to neglect the greater parts of the law, mercy, love, and truth, and fidelity to God and man. That's right. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the wellspring of understanding coming up on the inside of us, that it's a blessing to many around us, and that we can speak words that are so pleasant that they're like honeycomb filled with spiritual nutrition and life, and they bring healing to our mind, our body, but Father God, to our family and to all those around us. Yes, Lord. Thank you for this. Yes, thank you. Thank you that you've given us mastery over our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, and that we are slow to anger because of Christ living on the inside of us. We can rule our spirit, and Lord, we can be qualified to influence cities, nations, for the glory of the living God. Father, we just thank you for our friends and partners who are indulging in this proverb with us. Father, bless them. We speak peace over their home. We speak the light of God Almighty order into their future right now. Father, we thank you for giving them a heart and a desire to come up with godly plans, not just for their vacation, but God, for their living, for their marriage, for their budget, for their children, for their future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For the light of your word shining bright on the paths of our feet and giving us direction, protection, wholeness, healing. Father, you have made us glad. Your word, your presence, you have made us glad. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We believe we receive it in the name of Jesus. Amen. So be it. Man, this has been so good just enjoying Life Talks with you guys again. So good. We like it. We like being with you in the living room. We sure do. Remember to visit our website, stephenandpam.com, stephenandpam.org. We're always trying to have little treasures, little triggers there for you that will be a a blessing to your life, things that you can pray, that we can pray together and say, you know, again, divinely directed decisions are on the lips of the king. You are royalty in the eyes of God Almighty. And you're here on earth for God's extraordinary purpose and plan to bring life, to be a lightning rod for his favor and blessing. We just bless you in the name of Jesus. And let's continue to go forward into God's word and share. Be a share of God's word, this podcast with your friends and family. And let's get everybody indulging in this dark chocolate of God's revelation in Jesus' name. Remember, you guys, you are born to win. 
Thanks for listening to Stephen and Pam Marshall. To receive more information or more teaching, go to www.stephenandpam.com. Stephen and Pam Ministries is a 501c3 charitable organization, and your gift helps us to take this message to 1,000 communities worldwide.